Here we go, the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. And we are covering the Miami Marlins. I had an, a big idea for this episode planned out where I was going to hype up the Marlins pitching staff that in a variety of ways is having unprecedented success through 50 games of this 2021 season. And then, you know, the games themselves got in the way. Game number 50, a very interesting one, a, another hard-fought loss for the Marlins as they split their series against the Phillies. There will be a more traditional game recap here on the pod channel tomorrow on our small pod with A.T. Wardall. And we, of course, have our recap article already up there from Ethan Badowski, who was in the building himself at Lone Depot Park for the final game of that homestand. But here I'm going to make sure to just run down a few really particular items from the game that stuck out to me that that have some pretty serious ramifications. Uh, after the break, we're, we're going to go into all the injury updates because there are quite a few to go through on the position player side for the Marlins as they prepare to head out for a 10-game road trip. And I think safe to say there are going to be some roster moves coming in the immediate future. I mean, there was a surprise roster move before this game. There's a lot to unpack with who is available for this team and how they all mesh together. And then finally, at the end of the show, we will get to a an abbreviated segment on what I wanted to get into about this Marlins pitching staff, which has really done a lot to carry this team to this point in the season. Despite the outcome on on here on Thursday that dropped them to 24 and 26, I mean, overall, this team is in a pretty decent place relative to what expectations were. The question is how much they can maintain it moving forward. Into this game against the Phillies, they end up losing 3-2 to two at home, splitting a four-game series. As I had mentioned a couple times on Fish Stripes, the Marlins had won six of their last seven series against the Phillies. They had owned them. And this game, they were favored in this game, having Pablo Lopez on the mound going against Spencer Howard, the uh, the top prospect from the Phillies. He just graduated from top prospect eligibility, but he's had kind of a shaky run so far in the majors. He shuts the Marlins down pretty easily through the first four innings before scuffling in the fifth. The Marlins have a bases loaded, no outs opportunity in the bottom of the fifth and only score one run out of it. So that's going to bring me to one note I wanted to get into about Isan Diaz, who very briefly was on the injured list for what appears to have been just a COVID-related precaution because he was only out for a couple days before they allowed him to be reinstated. And so far, some mixed results from him. I mean, the hitting results overall are not good <laughs> through these fir- first two games. But if you were watching this game, if you were watching his previous game, he's he's had some really impressively hit balls. He was wa- robbed of the home run on Wednesday by Odubel Herrera. In this game, he was robbed of a line drive, at least a double, if not a triple to left field on a great diving catch by the Phillies left fielder in this one. Uh, in this situation, in the fifth, he was on second base. He was representing the potential tying run in this situation with Sandy Leone ahead of him on third. And I, I got the clip and I posted it on, on Twitter right after it happened of Isan making a little hesitation at second base on what was a medium deep fly ball to center field. Aguilar lifts it to center. And we'll see what that arm from Odubel Herrera looks like. Leone, not the fastest. It's cut off. Throw to third is in time. Run came across first. So the Marlins get one, and that will sit down the side. Still, Ranger Suarez enters this game. Base is loaded 
nobody out and allows just a run. I, I don't know what was going on with him. If you hesitate there, uh, generally as a base runner, that you would go back to the base after that. That tells you that <laughs> in that situation, that you, you can't afford that kind of indecision uh, in that situation already with, well, there was one out in the inning and then the ball was caught in center field for the second out. So with two outs in that situation, right as the heart of the Marlins order was coming up too. Um, which is a very strange game because Jesus Aguilar was not in the starting lineup, but he was the pinch hitter here that hit that sacrifice fly that brought Leon home. Uh, a very interesting tactic to use him in the fifth inning, but that was a pretty important spot to do it. And so he's the one that gets that hit. Miguel Rojas is the next guy up, who is probably the the best hitter that was in the lineup for the Marlins on Thursday. That shows you, no offense to Mickey, but that shows you exactly what kind of talent deficit they're at right now, where Miguel Rojas was kind of the biggest threat at the plate that they had coming up next, and he doesn't have an opportunity to come up because Isan gets thrown out at third for the double play. Now, thankfully, Leon had just enough time to score so that the run counted, and that made it 2-1 to one with the Marlins uh, trailing. So, think, I mean, it would have been one of the all one of the really unacceptable bloopers of this Marlin season if he had gotten himself out before the run scored. But even so, that's just a really disappointing fundamental error. And that was one of, really the difference in this game is the fundamentals for the Marlins. There was that Eson play right there, uh, a couple other defensively plays by the Marlins that were sketchy. Um, Adam Duvall, who has been so great defensively all year, um, any way you look at it, an elite defensive outfielder on pace for a gold glove for whatever that means to you. In this game, there was that line drive into the right center field gap, and he made this awkward slide to cut in front of John Birdie that turned what should have been a single into a double, and it looks like the official scorer, he originally assigned Duvall an error there and then kind of changed his mind and awarded it a, a double, but that was still a very uncharacteristically um like over-aggressive play by Duvall, even though John Birdie was right there, and that costed them an extra base, even if it doesn't show up in the stat sheet. And, I mean, the next place to jump ahead to is the ninth inning, where the Marlins, in the eighth, they tied up. So I'll go to the eighth first, where they tied up down 2-1, to one, facing hard-throwing Jose Alvarado, 100-mile-per-hour heat from the left side, but questionable control. He walks a couple guys in that inning to set up this opportunity for Corey Dickerson, and that's where Miguel Rojas, who was a runner on first base, gets picked off, and we've seen this too much for the Marlins this season. Um, The league-leading ninth time that a Marlins player had been picked off on the bases this season, more than any other team, in an era where teams are so protective of those outs that they are very timid on the base paths, and while it's more fun, you know, to take some chances... That in that situation, when he wasn't even the lead runner for the Marlins, there they had the the potential tying run on second base in the form of Jose Devers. Just really disappointing from Rojas. That's the second time that he individually has been picked off this season, and that leads to the second out of the inning. And then a, a curious decision in the bottom of the eighth to take out Corey Dickerson for Garrett Cooper. Now we know Cooper had an incredible homestand. He is playing his best ball of the season, one of the hottest streaks of his whole Marlins career, and he delivers what was a game-tying RBI single. Cooper on the ground through the right side. Devers rounding third, and he will score and tie the game at two. Garrett Cooper off the bench comes through for the Marlins. 
you look at his numbers now, hitting 264 this year with a 777 OPS, and that doesn't sound like much, but keep in mind, offense in baseball is way down this year compared to any other recent year, and we'll get into that in the final segment of the show. And the dreadful start that Cooper was off to through more than an entire month of the season, he was awful, and there were legitimate concerns about what to do with him. The fact that he has rebounded so quickly in a a matter of just a few weeks, and particularly over this past week, it's great. And it's great because he also entered this game as one of the guys with injury concerns. He had been resting for most of the last two games due to oblique tightness, which really scares you because if that turns into an oblique strain, then all of a sudden you you have no idea when you're going to get him back. But thankfully, he was good enough to hit. He was good enough to play in right field in the ninth inning. That bodes very well for this upcoming road trip that he'll be a regular in the lineup. And uh, I mean, as we're going to get to, he should have some pretty regular playing time as we move forward. And so they tied up in the eighth inning despite Miggy's blunder there. And Miggy hurts his finger, as we'll get into after the break, where he hurts his finger trying to slide back to first base. So in the ninth tie game, they bring in Yimmy Garcia. You know, that's the typical move when it's tied and you're the home team. There won't be a save situation at any point. Gimme starts the game allowing a long fly ball to right field, and as I hinted at, Garrett Cooper is out there. He's played a lot of right field this season, and he has not looked good out there, particularly plays near the wall. That's exactly what happened here. Deep fly ball that ends up, I think, just grazing the bottom of the wall. It was a it was a catchable play. I'd love to see you know the stat cast on that in terms of what the catch probability was for an average right fielder in that situation. He didn't get a great jump. He made kind of a half-ass attempt at trying to reach up and get it, but it wasn't particularly close, and he ends up landing off-balance, so that allows, who was it, Odubel Herrera to turn it into a triple, a lead-off triple. You know, it's one thing to not catch the ball, but to play it kind of recklessly after that for Herrera to get to third in a tie game, that was disappointing uh, by Cooper. Again, kind of grading on a curve because he was managing this oblique tightness but still, that's that extra base proved so costly because they end up allowing that run to score. Uh, Yimmy gets the first out of that inning, strands Herrera at third for the time being. Then he what issued a walk to uh, Matt Joyce on a borderline pitch, and then Ronald Torres hits a ground ball right back to Yimmy on the mound. Herrera gets too far off a of third base, you know, from my perspective, um, at least. 15 feet, 20 feet off of third base by the time Yimmy has the ball and has a chance to look at him. But Yimmy pretty like convincingly goes to second base immediately. He doesn't seem to make much of a, like enter his thought process that Herrera, who represents the potential winning run, is important to get there. So he turns to second. The throw was pretty accurate to second, but because he kind of rushed through it so much, he doesn't look Herrera back to third base. He doesn't like pump fake. Um, He doesn't hold Herrera, even though Herrera is kind of the one runner that really matters here. So they go to second, uh, Eson fields it there, not the quickest exchange from Eson at second base, and throws the first, and Torres beats it by about half a step. It was a close play, uh, close enough that they reviewed it, but pretty clear upon the review, it was maybe even less than half a step. It was it was not quite a bang-bang play, but very, very close, and unfortunately, that made the difference, is that... It, I guess if Yimmy makes a perfect throw to second base, if if everything is perfect on the turn, maybe you get that double play. Uh, but the two outs in that situation probably aren't as valuable as getting that 
runners like glancing off of third base because Herrera was far enough off, in my opinion, that they had him stuck. They would have been able to get him out for that second out of the inning and at least ensure that all Yimmy needed was to retire one more to get out of the jam. Instead, that run scores. Yimmy ends up taking the loss, and they don't rally in the bottom of the ninth. Anything else about this game to get into? Yeah, so it's a one-run loss for the Marlins. They're now 4-10 this year in one-run games. We keep talking about that run differential perhaps being the sign of something slightly better to come. And now that there you have a plus 15 run differential, I think it's still the highest in the National League East, but I mean, whatever. It's not really the story of the season so far. The story of the year is, yeah, these close games that keep getting away. If they if they just split these one-run games, go 7-7, seven and seven, then right now they would be 27 and um, 20. 27 and 23. I mean, they would be essentially tied for first place in the division right now if they had simply an average record in those one-run games. But this one was even more disappointing than most of those losses because it did come down to those fundamentals on the bases, defensively, uh, ugly, ugly. And they're playing a Phillies team that was very shorthanded as well. I mean, we're about to get into the injuries that the Marlins are dealing with, but the Phillies exact same caliber of players that they're missing, if not worse, honestly. It might be just as bad for the Phillies as it is for the Marlins right now. So the game's kind of a toss-up. When you have a great starting pitching performance by Pablo, we'll finish on that with this game that Pablo was great. He made one mistake to Reese Hoskins. It was almost a mirror version of what we saw from Sandy on Tuesday. And it was the same guy, too. It was it was Reese Hoskins that had that two-run home run against Sandy that ends up like determining that game that the Marlins lost to nothing. So Sandy went eight innings in his game. Pablo only goes seven, an efficient seven innings. He, a lot of good stuff. Um, it had somewhat of the feel of just beating up on a compromised Phillies lineup. I mean, this Phillies lineup was not good. They had one guy in there that you were really scared of, who was Reese Hoskins. You go through the rest of the list. Uh, Odubel Herrera, he's been pretty good lately, but just does not have the same... Uh, upside or consistent track record for sure prior to these past few weeks. Uh, Matt Joyce is over the hill. Alec Bohm has been a disaster this year despite showing so much promise as a rookie. You're not really that afraid of Brad Miller, especially if you have a great changeup the way that Pablo does. So he did fine. He doesn't get tagged with the loss because of Cooper's hit, but once again, he does not get a winning decision either because of this overall lack of run support. He is right there near the bottom of the league in run support that he receives. We have an article up from Nicole Cahill on Pablo kind of breaking down the adjustments he's made the last couple of years to turn into one of the really great starting pitchers in baseball. Bottom line, that's not hyperbole. And uh, unfortunately, it just doesn't line up very well with his teammates. So uh, frustrating way to wrap up the homestand right there. Here at Fish Stripes, we are proudly partnered with Symbol. You know that. The stock market for sports. Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Use your knowledge about MLB, the NFL, the NBA to buy low, sell high, and profit on these individual team stocks. Symbol has market analysis directly on their site. And on Fish Stripes, we do some of our own stuff as well about the Marlins, about the NL East overall. And we have new articles that have just gone up this week about that. 
So that helps you get comfortable with the platform really quickly and make the best decisions. Join more than 2,000 early adopters who have already started to invest. Their website, symbol.app, www.simbull.app. That's where you create a free account. When you make that first deposit, use the promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, FISHSTRIPES, and you'll get a $10 bonus. The current Sim Marlin share price is $30.21. So go to symbol.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES, and get that $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. That brings us back to the Marlins and their injury situation. The big blow already came earlier this week with Brian Anderson going on the injured list uh, per Kim Ang. He's out for, quote, several weeks. And if she's willing to say several already, I think you have to assume maybe even more than a couple, three weeks, maybe four weeks with a, so it's a right shoulder, excuse me, a left shoulder subluxation, which, is, I mean, it's kind of various case by case. Fernando Tatis Jr. very famously had that same injury earlier this season, and he came back right around the minimum of 10 days. But that's not going to be the case with Anderson, that he's still dealing with a lot of pain. They got to shut down him down from baseball activities and uh, to be determined exactly how far he's coming along. But safe to say he is out for this entire upcoming road trip. It's his second stint on the injured list. Um, he missed, of course, a couple of road trips ago. He went out with that oblique strain. And that was kind of a best case scenario with his recovery, where he made it back in less than two weeks from an oblique strain. I was pleasantly surprised by that. This is more serious, unfortunately, and it comes as a terrible timing as he was just really turning the corner. We've seen in a few games that he's been out, the starter has been John Birdie, and Isan Diaz has, off the bench, played third base a couple times already. It hasn't really been tested to this point, but Isan, pretty limited experience at third base, and he has enough defensive issues, honestly, at second base as well that my hopes are not very high for that. They're going to lose something defensively without Anderson, and they definitely lose something in terms of power potential. Birdie had such a clutch hit on Wednesday that put the Marlins ahead for good. That's great. And with Birdie, I've always been relatively high on him. That his numbers this year, any way you slice it, it's been bad. He's been a disappointment compared to what he'd done the previous couple of years. I didn't really see anything in there that made me think that he was kind of over the hill. I mean, he's still moving just fine. He's striking out more than you'd like, and the plate discipline had dropped off a tiny bit from what we'd saw in previous years. And all you really need, I think, is just a larger sample, and he would kind of get back to being that solid hitter. I mean, today, another example, he walked... He, had a clutch walk in the later innings of this game. It doesn't end up making a difference, but and I think he also had a, a walk or two in the previous game as well. As long as he's getting walks and putting balls in play at like a league average pace, then he's going to be a, a solid offensive player. He got back to stealing a base. Um, what was that on Tuesday where he finally stole his third base of the year? He'll, he'll be playing a lot. So Mattingly, said it's going to be kind of a split between Birdie and Isan at third base. I would expect Birdie to get the, the lion's share of the starts, even though he's a righty and technically like the small side of a general platoon because there's less left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching. I mean, Birdie is the better player. There's no other way to like parse that based on what he'd done in his recent seasons, even based on what we've seen from them this year, that Birdie is... um. 
he's not Brian Anderson. They're going to miss Brian Anderson. And um, this is probably a topic for another show, but it's unfortunate for where uh, it has ramifications for BA's potential contract extension conversations where he's missed a couple weeks earlier in the year. He'll miss, quote, several weeks this time. Maybe it turns into a month. That will keep down his counting stats. That will make it more difficult to recover from that very early season slump that he had, and his numbers won't be quite the same. That affects how much he could earn in arbitration heading into 2022. Um, it's an interesting conversation in terms of whether this changes exactly where his relationship with the team looks like moving forward. Uh, I mean, when it's all said and done, this might actually like help his case for sticking around if they do miss him a lot. If that birdie, uh, Isan Diaz, occasional Jose Devers combo doesn't fill the void, then it makes him look all the more indispensable. Uh, I don't think we'll see very much Devers at third base because somebody has to play shortstop, and it is not going to be Miguel Rojas. We, we spoke to Don Mattingly after the game. I sat in on that press conference just to be sure I heard him very clearly, and he he hinted that this is probably an injured list situation for Miguel Rojas. A dislocating a finger on his right hand, reaching back to first base when he got picked off. And you could see it on the field immediately. He clutched at it. He was holding it as he was leaving the field on his right hand. Really unfortunate. It's going to be the one, two, three, third straight season that Mickey Rowe spent some time on the injured list. In 2019, I think he had that hamstring in- injury. Obviously, last year it was contracting COVID. And now this year, this dislocated finger that was popped back into place, but the soreness is an issue, potential swelling is an issue. So it will take at least another day to confirm exactly where he's at with that. Unfortunately, that's the way it's heading, is that he'll probably need to go on the IL because they they need another bat on this roster. So without Brian Anderson, and now um, without Miguel Rojas for a certain period of time, now hopefully not as long as an absence as as Anderson's, but still a little too early to confirm that one way or the other. And and I mean, time, before we get into replacements, you need to tie it into Jazz's status as well. Jazz Chisholm Jr., who did not play either of these last two games on Wednesday or Thursday, he did work out on the field. He was shown on Wednesday, he was doing some like fielding drills on his knees so as to not put any strain on this ankle sprain that he has. Then on Thursday, you know, making what seems to be some progress, he was jogging uh, across the field during pregame warmups, but it was, it was a jog. It was, you can't really say anything more than that. It was maybe 50% of full speed, if not less than that. He's still feeling some soreness, according to Mattingly. So he's been out a couple days and tomorrow will be a critical day for his status to figure out whether or not they have to put him on the I.L., because uh, the way the injured list is, you can backdate, you can make it retroactive at least three days, meaning so even if they go on Friday and he's still not feeling well, um, they can place him on the injured list and he wouldn't have to miss a full 10 extra days. It would backdate to the first day that he was out, which was Wednesday. And that's probably what they're going to do. Uh, take some time to really see where he's at. And they might even wait all the way to Saturday and because they could still backdate that to Wednesday in that situation. We might not get an answer on Jazz for a full day, if not a day and a half from now, to figure out exactly how soon he gets back. Such a critical piece, It, it but it, was, it spoke volumes uh, today that he was not uh, used in this crazy game. 
they at the end of the game they really needed an extra infielder or an extra position player of some kind the the bench was empty aside from jazz and they did not go to jazz even with the game on the line in uh, in any facet for them even either defensively or as a base runner or as a hitter so they missed him uh, in this game for sure he's the kind of guy that could have made a difference if fully healthy uh, but the good news is on Garrett Cooper and that uh, I mentioned already what he did in the late innings on Wednesday. That would indicate that he has dodged a bullet with this oblique tightness and that he'll be uh, with this team moving on to this road trip. Um, so what are the reinforcements looking like? If Obviously, B.A. is out and we are fully expecting Miguel Rojas to be out as well. We know one of the reinforcements that was called up prior to the game was Lewin Diaz kind of very abruptly put into the lineup in place of Nick Neidert, who suffered biceps inflammation, disappointing setback for Neidert, where he had what was his best start of the season to date of his young major league career on um, on Wednesday, even though the, the, te- the team kind of won it for him in the later innings. So that's really disappointing for Neidert, um, where he still had some progress to make, and he doesn't have an obvious role in the rotation or even in the major league pitching staff for the moment with Eliezer Hernandez almost on the way back. Uh, but it was a nice step, and so that's really unfortunate that he'll have to shut things down for a little period of time. So not totally sure on the severity of Neidert's biceps inflammation, but but frustrating for him for sure. We, we just know that it's, they've been fortunate so far at the top of this rotation that everybody's been staying healthy. Eventually, you're going to need to go a little deeper into this minor league depth to get this rotation through the season, and Nider is kind of an obvious candidate to try to prove himself. Unfortunate step back and replacing him on the roster was Lewin Diaz, um, who in AAA, he got off to a hot start like the first week and a half, and then ice cold over the next week and a half before getting called up. I think Fish on the Farm, Alex Carver, he mentioned there was an 0 for 20 slump going on in there that really dropped his stats down to like league average by AAA standards for, uh, it's just small sample size fun, but he was tearing apart left-handed pitching uh, during that small sample to start the year. An OPS in the 1100s, just dominating lefties, including several home runs during these first few weeks of the minor league season. But today, Overall, just a discouraging day. Like, he had a great play defensively to turn a double play all by himself, unassisted. We know he's a plus defender. That's the aspect of his game that I've been extremely high on throughout. Uh, At the plate against, uh, there was that, I was watching very closely his first at bat against Spencer Howard, where he got a couple pitches to hit, but he was not timing up the fastball or the curveball correctly and fouled them off before striking out. Then he faced a couple lefties later in the game and despite what the stats say at AAA, he did not look comfortable. Um, didn't look like he was seeing the ball or reacting well uh, to either of those guys. Very different lefties. One, Ranger Suarez, and then Jose Alvarado chasing out of the zone. It was it was not a great first impression. Obviously, Jesus Aguilar will be the primary first baseman, but they, they called him up um, for one immediately because they didn't know for sure about Garrett Cooper's status and uh, that would have left Aguilar as the lone first baseman available, but also because anticipating this road trip where there's going to be the designated hitter in Boston and in uh, against the Blue Jays playing in Buffalo for these next uh, six games coming up, or next seven games, next two series, whatever, coming up against the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, that they'll have the DH. So what does that mean? Um, that means that they were able to kind of rush Starling Marte through his rehab assignment. Mattingly said he is... Flying to Boston, he's meeting the team there. Starling Marte is is back. He's back after missing, God, over 30 games for this team 
over, uh, he was hurt in the third week of, May, of, of April, so he ends up missing about six weeks um, with at rib fracture, and he only got a chance to play in two rehab games for uh, for Jacksonville before making this trip. So that is, um, they had to rush it. That My expectation coming into this week is that he would spend a full series, basically, in Jacksonville, play either four or five games, um, play a couple times in center field, play back-to-back days in, in the field just to make totally sure that he's ready. And instead, they have to pull the plug after, you know, just six plate appearances. Um, they didn't do anything special with the plate. Otherwise, we would have posted the videos on, on Fish Drive. So you know that. But he didn't do anything exciting. You know, he popped up a couple times, grounded out. Um, I think he may have struck out once. But he did play back-to-back days on Tuesday and Wednesday. One is the DH. One is the center fielder. It'll be obviously great to have him back on multiple levels, given how well he's playing earlier in the year. The reality is that, is that this was a rushed rehab assignment kind of by necessity. They, As we're about to get into, it's just a messy 40-man roster situation. They don't have many major league-ready position players on the 40-man, and at the moment, that's where kind of almost all their injuries are is on the position player side with B.A., with with Miggy, and then the scares, obviously, with Jazz and with Cooper in recent days. That There's just very little flexibility here, but Starling was on the 40-man, so they could just call him up, and we'll, I mean, the obvious corresponding move would be putting Rojas on the injured list um, to make room for Starling Marte. That's kind of what I'm expecting to happen right there. With Marte coming back and rejoining the team, I would just caution you not to expect much at the plate during this first series in Boston, that he just did not have an opportunity in these minor league games to get his timing fully back. It takes a lot of reps, and I'm sure he will admit to that once he's available to the media next time. Someone that we're, we're excited about, it's just he's not going to be a savior, really, for this offense that had a had a rough series against the Phillies. Even though they split the series, um, this offense really held them back, both with some of those fundamental issues I mentioned earlier, but more importantly, with the simple lack of pop in this lineup right now. It's, it's Cooper and... Uh, I guess when Jesus Aguilar goes on the road, he kind of reaches a higher plane of existence and starts mashing again. But at home uh, during these pre- previous four games, it was gross. And even dating back, honestly, the whole homestand, even against the Mets, just eking out several of these games without hitting for any power whatsoever. When Marte is fully up to speed, he will help them in that department for sure. However, he will take starts away from Magnaris Sierra. And if you read Fish Drives, I had a recent article about Sierra being a good luck charm and how the updated stat as of this moment is that the Marlins are 18-10 and 10 over the last two seasons when Sierra is in the starting lineup. And Marte will pretty obviously be taking away almost all those starts from uh, Sierra when he gets back. Some of those other reinforcements, though, um, the reason why we need to talk about other potential call-ups is that I mean, right now, you're kind of forcing Jose Devers to be the semi-regular starting shortstop for the Marlins. Incredible. I mean, he's he's 21 and a half years old. He is um, one of the youngest players in the majors right now. I believe he is the youngest position player on an active roster in the major leagues right now. He I mean, He's not like, um, it's not a total fluke. I mean, this guy is, by most evaluators' opinions, he's a top 15 prospect in the Marlins system although Fangraphs has been lower on him than those other outlets. 
Um, he, we've seen his defense. It's very good. We've seen his base running. It's great. I mean, as a sprinter, he's already one of the faster guys on the team in kind of in the same ballpark as Birdie and as Sierra. That's an important aspect. He had some nice moments during this series for sure uh, against the Phillies. On Wednesday, he became the youngest Marlins position player to have a multi-hit game since Giancarlo Stanton, the guy he was traded for in 2017. So that's an amazing bit of trivia right there. Uh, getting those hits, drawing a key walk on, on Thursday as well. I mean, but he's just generally speaking, he's not ready to be the best version of himself. He skipped double A entirely. He was only at triple A for a couple weeks in between these emergency call up opportunities, one in April and then another one now that he needs to get those regular reps in the minors to be the best version of himself. And maybe by the end of this season, he is kind of ready to step into a semi-regular role or just a utility role. But in the meantime, this is not really smart handling of him. It's kind of by necessity. I would prefer to like not have him in the majors right now. Um, I'm not sure whether that's an option, but at, at the very least, he, he shouldn't be expected to be a regular in their lineup at the moment. Um, against this kind of competition that he's not ready for. What's worth noting is that when the Marlins designated Sean Morimondo for assignment, that cleared a spot on their active roster and on their 40-man roster. Um, and next week, we're expecting Eliezer Hernandez to get back from the injured list, but uh, I don't know if they can wait that long before like filling that spot. In the meantime, you need to make sure that you have some semblance of uh, a lineup to make up for these losses that they've had and someone that whether it's replacing Devers or just an additional position player to put on the roster um, for these next few days. And that's really all you can do. You just need to play this like a, a day at a time. You can't really plan that far ahead. Um, some options that they have in AAA, all these guys are not on the 40 man roster yet. Uh, Devin Marrero, um, who's a Miami native, and he's had a couple nice moments with Jacksonville so far this year. Luis Marte, you remember him from Major League Spring Training. He's hitting even better right now at AAA, but doesn't have any big league experience. He's been in the minors now in pro ball for about 10 years, and he plays several positions. Bryson Brigman, who the Marlins acquired in 2018. I really like his defense and his on-base skills in the minors, but not a lot of upside there in terms of power. Eddie Alvarez is... You remember him a lot from last year, but the timing just very unfortunate in that he is now focused on training with Team USA and building up to the Olympics, trying to qualify for the Olympics. And for him, as um, the great article, I think, from Christina DiNicola of MLB.com about how important it is for him to head back to the Olympics and try to get a medal in a second sport after already winning silver for speed skating back in 2014. It's an awesome story, and he considered that a higher priority than trying to get back to the big leagues. I can't blame him, but it's just crazy how this has worked out, where he would be the obvious guy here to make to get on the 40-man, select his contract, and call him up in this situation. I think Eddie Alvarez would be in Boston on Friday and on the roster for as the Marlins' a part-time shortstop or an utility guy, if not for the fact that this is coinciding with this wacky delayed olympic year and that alvarez is w training with that team so crazy how that works out but they have those guys that are not that are in triple a and that you don't expect a whole lot of but i think it's more appropriate to have somebody like that that you have less invested in to fill this role rather than leaning so hard on jose devers who you're hoping is going to have a nice 
five, six, seven year run on your roster in like 2022 and beyond. Like for him, um, there's a lot of potential there and you don't want to risk really screwing things up for him in any way by forcing him up before he's actually ready. Fascinating to see what they'll do there. There are some other out-of-the-box options too. Let me see if I'll, I'll take a second to pull this up about guys who are in DFA limbo on other teams who are available on the market to be potentially claimed off waivers. Because if you're looking ahead a little bit and worried about who comes off the 40-man roster in place of Eliezer Hernandez, you want it to be a guy that you don't mind acquiring right now and then DFAing just a few days later. Like This is kind of the situation they're in where they just need somebody to plug that gap who makes more sense at the moment than than Jose Devers does. And, uh, I mean, the options out there, I, I saw Jace Peterson, um, who's been around the majors for a while. He was DFA'd a few days ago, and I was excited about that. And, unfortunately, the Marlins just missed the window on that. He, was, he cleared waivers and stuck around with the Brewers organization. Just looking here in recent days of who's out there, it's mostly pitchers. It's Jason Adam, it's Shelby Miller, it's Josh Lindblom. Some interesting pitching names, but the Marlins are in really good shape in that department as we're about to get into. Um, Brett Boswell, an outfielder with the Rockies. And I think that's about it at the moment, who's right out there on the waiver wire. You're not going to pluck somebody like off the couch in free agency. They're not going to be ready to contribute right away. Yeah, as things are shaping up right now, unfortunately... There is uh, there's really no out. There's no infielder in DFA limbo right now that makes sense. Maybe that changes later tonight. Maybe that changes tomorrow. That could happen pretty suddenly. I would expect the Marlins to be watching that situation extremely closely, as they did last year. I mean, the similarities between this and between the COVID outbreak, there's some common ties there. Just scrambling to fill this roster in a responsible way. Um, without making any big long-term risks uh, just to get through this patch, but just because you know that this season, um, as down as you feel coming off this particular game, I mean, all their goals for this season are still alive. They are, it's not a time to wave the white, right, white flag or by any means. So continuing to look for um, a, a lot of creativity from this Marlins team in the coming days as they try to uh, yeah, try to keep treading water. I hate using that phrase. It's so overused, but it's kind of, it's appropriate right now. Just trying to get by for um, this next patch of the season. We're going to finish now on a lighter note. Again, this was going to be my main focus of the pod before the injuries kind of threw us into disarray. About the Marlins team, I mean, we're coming off yet another day where uh, they, this, they did what they usually did. I mean, for this season, the team as a whole has an ERA in the low threes and an ERA of 3.0 on this game today. They are an incredible pitching staff, one that I don't think it's any exaggeration to say is the best pitching staff this franchise has ever had. I mean, this is year number 29 of the Marlins franchise, and I don't think you could have ever been more like thrilled with the talent than you are right now this year. Um, They've, they've had some good luck when it comes to the bullpen staying healthy, having a lot of continuity from those options coming out of the pen. Uh, but you know that they've missed two key cogs to their rotation all year in Sixto and in Eliezer Hernandez. And yet they've been, they've been great. They've been great. So, I mean, going through some of the numbers, the ERA entering Thursday's game was 3.35. And I, I think that's going to stay exactly the same coming off this most recent game. It is 
pretty easily the lowest ERA in franchise history. It is a third of a run clear of the next best ERA that they've had in a single season, which was 2013. Uh, some very important disclaimers to point out with this year compared to 2013 is that the ballpark, they brought the fences in, in Miami, I think two separate times, or is it three separate times since 2013? It must be three separate times that they brought the ballpark in to make it play more neutral, and yet you still have this incredible run prevention uh, what are the keys to this Marlins pitching staff? I mean, they don't allow hits. Now, now some of that is a reflection of this good defense that we've seen the team play, um, but a lot of it is guys simply missing more bats than we're used to seeing. The strikeout rate of this Marlins pitching staff is 23.6%. That is going to be pretty comfortably a franchise record if they stay in that ballpark. You know, strikeouts are up in all of baseball this year, but still, the fact that they're missing bats, it's one of the lowest walk rates that we've seen from a pitching staff. It's just 8% of batters being walked this year. I mean, some individual standouts, of course. Richard Blyer has not walked a batter all season. John Curtis has only walked one guy. And so even when they allow home runs, it just is not as hurtful as usual as you'd usually expect because those runners aren't on in the first place. Even if you look at just adjusted numbers, when you take into account all the silliness this year, uh, that run scoring in baseball is down for a lot of, uh, pretty much for a variety of reasons. But even if you adjust it to the rest of the league, the Marlins are about 10% better than league average, according to ERA minus on fan graphs. And they've never been that low. I mean, the best is a 95 um ERA minus during the World Series champion 1997 season that they were in that position. So this is like by a substantial gap, they are doing better at at preventing runs relative to the league average than ever before. I mean, the top three in this rotation has been even better than advertised between Sandy and between Pablo and Trevor. I mean, Trevor, most of all, he was the one that you wanted to keep your expectations in check, this being his first full season, and he's been incredible. Uh, as I mentioned, Sandy and Pablo just this week is a latest reminder that even when they're not totally on top of their game in terms of missing bats, that they still can be so efficient for you. They give length uh, in their games. Uh, Sandy, there's a great breakdown from Pitcher List that came out this week about Sandy's pitch mix and how he uses all five of his different pitches um, to navigate lineups that that's going to help him avoid any substantial slumps. He did have that one train wreck appearance against the Dodgers on the previous road trip, and you look at everything else for the season outside of that, he has been incredible. There, are, I mean, for every starting pitcher, there are going to be, going to be those brief blow-ups, but these guys overall are just extremely consistent with what they do, and they can beat you in a variety of ways. Uh, the bullpen has been great, and it's just been so deep. I mean, I mentioned that most of these guys have been healthy, but as soon as the opportunity came up for Anthony Bender, we saw Bender step in, and he still has a 0.0 ERA nearly a month into his big league career. Uh, the kind of stuff in this bullpen is is better than most other Marlins teams that we've seen in terms of guys like Bender and Pop, Bender and Zach Pop, who have so much velocity and movement on their pitches that you get a great combination of swings and misses and called strikes from those guys. And they're not even, you know, at the top of the hierarchy, you know? I mean, they're not even give me Amy Garcia and Anthony Bass, you know, they've had their, they had been perfect, uh, those two guys, and yet I think you shouldn't take them for granted either. I mean, this is for a Marlins team that historically has had a lot of trouble finding, you know, steady options uh, at the back end of their bullpen that 
they're all things considered in decent shape in that territory uh, this year. I mean, just moving forward, I'm, I think they can keep it up. We're through 50 games. It's not even a full third of the season yet. But they have those reinforcements on the way. They have Eliezer Hernandez making one final rehab start, presumably, before rejoining the team at the end of this upcoming road trip. Sixto Sanchez finally this week, his first uh, bullpen session. We are just awaiting some clarity as to how that session went. And, I mean, from there, you'll be seeing him in live batting practice pretty soon. When he gets called up, that's going to be a story for another episode. I, I, I think we will be waiting a longer than you would expect to actually see him on the Major League roster, but he is coming eventually. He will be on the majors, Major League rotation eventually for a substantial part, portion of the season. I assure you that. Uh, we'll see if Nick Neidert comes back from his IL stint at, at some point. And of course, I mean, shout out to Cody Poteet who has started his major league career in, on an extremely encouraging note. A huge test for Poteet coming up in this Red Sox series, going against the t- his toughest competition yet. I'm excited to see that. So I, I think this proclamation is, uh, you could take it more legitimately if Poteet shoves yet again and works deep into the game and, uh, and dominates the Red Sox. I think that's when you can really feel confident about this being the best Marlins pitching staff uh, we've ever had. At one time, I think that's I think that's the case because it's a combination of stuff and um, experience and depth that they have, the variety of looks that they have. I mean, we should uh, we should probably mention Ross Detweiler and Adam Simber. Nobody was really wowed by those acquisitions. Those guys have kind of lived up to uh, really surpassed probably the expectations you had for them getting out of certain situations and coming in in a huge variety of situations as well. This has been put together brilliantly, this combination of arms, and there's more on the way. There's, uh, there's, if you want to get really ambitious, Max Meyer and Jake Eater lighting it up at AA Pensacola. Are they options for the very end of the year? Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, what they're doing is, is fantastic. That's been the strength of this team. That's why even, I mean, even if the bottom falls out during this road trip, uh, even if you know it becomes clear at some point in the near future that this is not going to be a contending team, this is going to be a fun team to watch the rest of the way because almost every single day you you love the starting option that they have on the mound, and they just have such a variety of guys out of the bullpen that can keep things close. That's why this kind of just circles back to that run differential conversation. That the reason why this team plays so many of these close games, they're not winning as many as you'd like. There's always hope. There's always hope because of the caliber of arms that they have and how these arms are are being managed, how consistent they're being as well. It's been even for us that had, you know, high expectations for what these guys could do. It's kind of surpassed those expectations and it's been fun to watch. Small pod coming up for you on on Friday morning with AT Wardall and of course we have all our coverage on fishstripes.com. Live stream previewing the Red Sox series on a late Friday afternoon, one hour prior to first pitch. Please join us on Twitter, YouTube, or Twitch. We'll have even more updates, you know, exactly about Starling Marte's return, about Miguel Rojas's injury. Just before we're signing out here, we do have some clarification from Craig Mish that, yeah, Miggy is indeed going to go on the injured list, it looks like. And the injury is, quote, concerning but it will take a further diagnosis about Miguel Rojas' status before, you know, determining next steps. So that's unfortunate, and it's going to be fascinating to see how they fill that hole both in the immediate term and in the long term. I'm Eli Sussman. 
presented by Symbol. Support us and support them. We appreciate all of you. Rate and review the podcast at wherever you get it and stay locked on to Fish Stripes for more Miami Marlins coverage. Go Fish. <laughs>